You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. Well, we have Brandon Cobb on the uh, program here tonight. Brandon, I really appreciate your time. And if you uh, want to take a look at what Brandon does, is head over to The House Buy-In Guys. That's a B-U-Y-I-N guys.com um, uh, for more information. But you can find Brandon on all the social media networks as well. Um, it, sounds, it seems like a lot of people, especially real estate investors, seem to settle on LinkedIn lately. I don't know if you're if you've been on there a lot, but uh, we're seeing. I'm sure seeing a lot of people shifting over to LinkedIn all of a sudden. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I went to an event I think two years ago, and, and Gary Vaynerchuk was heading. He was like, "LinkedIn's going to be the next Facebook." It is where Facebook was like eight years ago. You know, like now is the opportunity to jump in. I've got a profile like way back when when I was first job searching, and I think it's still on there. I might have updated a little bit, but yeah, I think there's huge opportunities in LinkedIn. Yeah. And in fact, uh, there was an announcement for LinkedIn just this week where there's even like, you can now upload a intro video of yourself, like a little intro card. I mean, uh, uh, they're really, really sliding into things pretty heavy. And then with Microsoft acquiring them, um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how advanced, how the advancements in LinkedIn right now, but everybody make sure you check that out. And uh, again, it's the house buy-in guys. And we're going to cover quite a few different things, but I always like to, I like to have an idea of like where you started off because I know that you've done over 40 transactions now, which is pretty advanced compared to a lot of people. Um, most people are inching by maybe one or two a year. You've, you've exceeded 40. A lot of those are fix and flip. So we're going to get into some of that, but how did you get into real estate investing? Yeah, I mean, we we're you know now we've scaled up to about forty to fifty transactions a year. But yeah, we there was a long way until up to that point. We've we've done well over a hundred plus deals. And the way I got started was in medical device sales. So I was orthopedic guy selling knees and shoulders. I was in and out of hospitals and surgeries all day and working you know insane hours. But I was young. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any wife. I could do that and afford to do that. And uh, one day it was a Friday mid-June in the summer and coming off of a what I thought was a pretty good day. Almost had a new surgeon on board and my boss wanted to meet for coffee and I sat and we met at Starbucks and that's when he let me go. I was completely thrown off course because you know I just got this like reward uh, the previous years for doing an awesome job in sales. They hired me an associate to, uh, to help out with the business and so I was kind of blindsided by it. And uh, luckily, uh, you know, my, my income was decent and I lived below my means. I saved my money. And so when I got let go, it wasn't like I was in an immediate position to go out and get another job. And I said, well, you know, let me give myself an ultimatum. If I don't make any money by December, about six months, doing some kind of entrepreneur thing, don't know what it's going to be yet. I'll go back and I'll get a job. So 
I started doing tons of things. I started going to real estate events. I think I started like a own blog. I tried to start like a course on how to break into medical device sales. I was all over the place, but I knew real estate had something that always kind of had like an itch and I wanted to scratch it. So I started networking. I knew that I didn't know what I didn't know and I needed a partner or find somebody, a mentor to help me out. And uh, Lord and behold, I met this guy and uh, you know, he taught me a couple things and we partnered on one deal and that income from that deal, that first flip, it was, I'll never forget it. It was like an hour and a half away. I was waking up at 5.30 a.m. to drop down there and manage it. I had no clue what I was doing, getting contractors off Craigslist, didn't know what a good tile job looks like, but ended up pocketing a pretty good return after that. And it was like three weeks left before my ultimatum. And I was like, well, crap, I ended up making some money and, uh, and I hit my goal and we just reinvested all the profits back in the business and just kept scaling it. And that's how we got to where we are today. Well, that's, that's interesting. So uh, that's really calls out the importance of finding somebody, you know, you went through that networking process and finding that mentor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that had to have been a pretty drastic change. Like talking about, that's a great way to accelerate your business is finding somebody local that knows the business. Yeah, it's who, not how. It's completely changed my my whole mentality. You know, we're, we're looking at doing some larger development stuff like building five-story buildings. I have no clue how to do it. Like we're getting the deal, but I'm not going to figure that out. I'm going to go partner with somebody who's figured it out and then learn from them. It's just copy and paste, repeat. The bigger it gets, the the more you need to go find your who, not your how. Yeah. No, it's, it goes back. To, we got kind of a, I have a mantra on this show. show. It's either... You can either put in that ten thousand hours and and uh, become that expert, or find somebody who's already made that investment and learn from them. I mean, it's really a, a great way to not only scale your business but your network and everything. Um, it's yep. there is something really true about who you hang out with. Uh, yeah, you, you start to. Now, it, it really is wild. One thing that I learned when I was sitting down and just thinking of all the things that I was grateful for after 2020, I realized that networking provided so much value to my life, not just financially and in in the business world, we tend to think of networking and all these opportunities we come across as as bettering us financially, but in your other areas of your life as well, you know, I met my, um, you know, hopefully soon to be fiance through networking. You know, and I looked at all these things. I was like, gosh, you know, for for the little amount of networking that I currently do, I've gotten so much value from it in the past. And so one of my goals this year is to have one lunch a week with somebody, someone I know or a new person. And uh, I've hit that goal so far this year. I'm still on track. And the the opportunities and that have come to me have just been it's blown me away it's it's mm. it's crazy what your roi is when you start putting time and effort into networking that's really interesting that two things that you said there is one thing is that you took a moment and reflected on 2020 is that something that you picked up recently or is that something that uh, you've done for a while is reflect on the actual the previous year Probably started it three, four years ago, and it's a tradition at this point. You know, I just turned 30 years old in July, and so I tend to sit down and go, all right, well, what did I learn in my 20s? What were my biggest takeaways? And so, you know, I'll, I'll do that every five years or so, sit down on my birthday. But, yeah, every, every year I look back and I analyze things 
through my body being balance and business, those four categories and, and how am I doing in each of those four and which one needs work. And I'll try to lay out a game plan uh, to take each one to the next level. Wow. that That is a lesson right there. So if you guys picked up any hint or clue on, on what to do, I mean, you should really take Brandon's advice on that. But the other thing that I noticed that you said too is um, I found that it's interesting that you se- selected having a, a lunch with somebody different every day, like once a week. Mm-hmm. A lot of people see goals as something that is measurable, whether like in dollars or deals done or something like that. That's really something to be said for putting that down as an as a goal. Um, I don't. I think that's something that a lot of people would miss. Yeah, it, and I see why nobody connects the dots. It's not, we live in a world where there's so much stuff bombarding our brain every day. We've got email, text messages, TV, screens, everywhere we go, billboards, radio. I mean, it, it, until you stop down and think, all right, what are the great things that have entered my life and how did they get there and really think about it and trace it? It's not until you connect the dots that you make the connection. And then you've got the next step, which is actually doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Bill Gates could give you all the, the the plan to becoming a billionaire, right? He can give you the the secret formula. Not everybody wants to do that, right? So it all right. comes down to first being able to identify what was the reason for all these great things that I have. And you can't do that unless you sit down and think about it. And then how do I go about bringing more of that in my life? And that's where the discipline comes into play. Sure. Well, let's let's move into the uh, some of your real estate investing. Then I, I know you a lot of it is rehabbing and and fix and flips. Like, how did you decide on that that niche? I mean, most people kind of start into real estate investing in wholesaling, frankly. Yeah, when we first started, the first deal I ever did was a flip, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that there were all these different avenues, but I, I, I like to say that I learned from the school of hard knocks. You know, I did have a, a mentor, but I definitely bit off way more that I can chew. My my second deal ever did was a new construction project. And I mean, it was just a crash course. In, oh, wow. Uh, in that is a big project. That'd be. Yeah. That, the did, second did one. Managed to, managed to flip an hour and 15 minutes away. Our second, third deal was like a wholesale deal. Then it was a new construction deal. We did. We were doing wholesaling in, in different markets. We were all over the place. We, there was all these shiny objects we were going after all of them. And then, you know, I think the second year in business, we're like, we're just going to focus on this one thing. We're going to remove all the shiny objects. We're going to focus on just what we're good at. And that's, that's how flipping came. We knew that we weren't going to have like this big lucrative, like we wanted a lucrative business. We didn't just want to be making passive money and the wholesaling was great. You know, we could do it, but there just wasn't as much margins in it as there were flipping. You know, we could sit there and make at least three times as much gross in the same market flipping versus wholesaling. And we had had some a vision to develop neighborhoods. I want to build neighborhoods. Uh, I wanted to do big commercial developments and you've got to get into the money raising game and, and the construction game in order to do that. So we knew that that aligned with our vision and that's how we decided on it. Well, just talking to you in this little amount of time, I can already tell that uh, processes and having things documented is probably a fairly uh, big thing for you. So let's start talking a little bit about those processes. How did you figure this all out? And and let's let's even go back as to 
do you could we even maybe follow an example through like how you found a, a property and then what you decided to do from there? Yeah. So as far as marketing goes, I'll tell you, when I first started out, the way I got my first deal, and this continues to be the best list for us. And, you know, it's kind of like beating a dead horse, but we know we do the driving for dollars thing, but we've systemized it. So we use an app called Spotio and think of it as your Apple Maps. When you pull up your Apple Maps or your Google Maps, you can see your little blue dot right there. And as we're cruising down the street, you pass houses. The houses are on the map. Well, you can just touch each house and it'll mark it. So as you're driving, there's no need to write anything down. So you're just touching these houses as you're driving through these neighborhoods. You know, obviously we pinpointed and decided which neighborhoods we were going after. We weren't going to go after the multi-million dollar homes, right? We knew that in our market, most of the financial motivation was in properties that were worth $200,000 or less. So we picked out those neighborhoods. We drove them. We analyzed the app. Now that app would compile an Excel list. And all we did was we found a virtual assistant in uh, Bangladesh. You know, she, she works for like $3 an hour. And we sent her this list of, it ended up being about 5,500 properties. I spent four hours a day for about six weeks, drove every street in middle Tennessee. And she would get this Excel list. Well, you have a list of properties, but you don't know if the owner lives there or not. So she would then go and plug each one of those property addresses into the property assessor's website that had the mailing address. And she would put the mailing address formatted correctly into Excel. So now we have a a marketable list. We would then send that list off to a third-party company, and that third-party company would then send a mailer to it. And we use a program called CallRail that intercepts all the calls. So each mailer um, you know, we're only talking about one specific one, but we we mail to a bunch of different motivational lists right now. Each one has a phone number where we can track it so we can track where we get our deals from. We can track the spend that we're spending per deal. And that's how we know six months later after we're mailing something, hey, if this list isn't working, but this one is, let's take the dollars we were spending on this list, remove it and plug it into this and double down on it. So that would be an example of a system, how I'm not having to do all the work, but there's some front end work involved, but everything else is automated once it's done. And that's how I recommend people get started. Quite frankly, it, it by far has continued to be the best list for us. Yeah. Yeah. We, we actually had uh, uh, Mr. Lecco on a, I don't know if you know, deal machine that has a, they kind of streamline that process a little bit for some people. Yeah, uh, I've seen Dill Machine. We we've tried it before, and uh, you know it's it's a good product. Yeah. So uh, so you find a, a deal, and uh, what's your process then for you, you decide you're gonna you're gonna fix and flip it, right? So uh, is there a threshold uh, on margin that you need to get typically get it for, or how do you come about your numbers? So for us, it's all about a risk standpoint. We like staying in that under $300,000, under $350,000 price point because that's affordable housing in my market. It's extremely low supply and it's it's flying off the market. So there's a lot of risk mitigation there. We select that price point because when COVID happened, we didn't feel anything. The higher price stuff started cooking. So we want to make a minimum. I mean, this is minimum 10% of retail. So if it's a $300,000 home, we need to make 30 grand off of it. So we want to have factor in a 10% market dip if it happens. Um, you know, so we just lose a little bit, not, you know, lose our shirt because our margins are super low. Um, 
as far as how we systemize it, you know, we've got a rehab calculator. So all, all my sales rep does is he just goes in, just plugs in numbers and it spits out all the repair numbers that he needs. And at the end of it, it automatically calculates the interest rate, um, everything. I mean, it's really simple. Just go and build out your own guide. You know, I could even post mine on your website if you want to, so people have access to it. But it, it basically gives my rep a quick maximum liable offer with the sellers to go to. Um, and that's basically how it works. That's how we come up to it. It's it's pretty easy. Sure. No, that that's really that's really generous of you. If you would wouldn't mind sharing that, I'd love to share that with uh, the listeners. Um, and in fact, uh, my, the website itself, because it's a podcasting host, uh, it wouldn't be there. So, but if everybody finds me on the Patreon page, I'll try to get it over there. And then, uh, but again, I wanted to remind everybody to. Uh, find Brandon Cobb on all of the social media networks. Um, don't be surprised if people hit you up through Facebook Messenger or something now. Um, but uh, also thehousebuyinguys.com. So with all of that, um, so you're finding your your the properties, you're going through the rehab. Is there typically a window that you try to get everything rehabbed within? Because I know you've even had extremes, right? I, I saw at one point you had a 70,000 plus rehab and you pulled it off in 10 days. Yeah, that one was crazy. It's not typical, but I really wanted to challenge my team and show them what was possible, right? Because they didn't think it was possible until they actually see it. So we stacked all the contractors on top of each other. And and I'll kind of go into a little bit how we, how we did that. So I think that would be something that your listeners really, really might like. So the way we planned the 10 day flip was one, we had everybody scheduled and 80% of a successful flip is all about being able to plan it out. It's all about planning. If you plan it right, the flip's actually a lot easier. People have these nightmare stories and, and I'm no exception of managing these flips and just never wanting to do it again. And that's due to poor planning, quite frankly. So we won, we had all these, steps lined up and we had the contractor stacked and we use a Gantt chart and um, anybody can go look at a Gantt chart, but imagine you've got all your trades laid out in an Excel sheet from top to bottom. And each trade has designated number of days they're working. And as you go down the list, you make sure you order the trades from start to finish. So if the drywall is ending this day, you know that your painter needs to start this day. We've bit out the scan chart so we can actually see everything and we communicate that with the contractors and we show them like, hey, here's the expectation. If you're late, you're going to push everybody else back. And here's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to get them hyped up about it. We brought some cameras out and did some fun stuff, fed them every day, did meetings. Um, but the next thing we did is we have a printout that shows it's a packet. And that packet has every single fixture in the house it has every single color and where it's going. So the trim color, the wall color, the exterior color, it's got, you know, the shingle type on there. It has, you know, the layout. So we use uh, Casa is the app that we use. And you literally can just go in and scan every wall in the room and it builds out a floor plan. So literally I can give this, this floor plan, this guide, this packet to a third grader. And the third grader would be able to, okay, the walls are going to be this color. Okay, we're going to use this type of spindle on the deck. Oh, okay, the light in this room is going to look like this. So it has everything. It takes time to build these things out, uh, but 
it's going to save you so much headache when you do because your phone's not going to be ringing every day with the contractor asking you what to do. You've communicated it to them in a packet. So um, between the Gantt chart and scheduling and having that that uh, design packet built for the contractors and then having clear scope of work built out. You know, we use an app called uh, Flipper Force that automatically templates out the scope of work. So I don't have to go in when I'm doing a roof and rewrite every single roofing job, the scope of work. It's templated out in Flipper Force. So you literally just delete the lines that you don't want and you go and it's it's already templated out for every single trade. So you just go in and make the edits and you're you're pretty much good to go. Um, so that's that's huge right there. Having a clear scope of work before you start having your schedule and your Gantt chart built, your contractors um, contract signed, and then having a design packet you can give them. If you do those things and you're currently not, it's going to completely change how you flip houses. So, you know, that on its surface, that sounds a bit daunting, but frankly, with as many flips you've done here now, with your experience, since you've moved to this type of process, how much time do you believe that that, that alone has saved you doing going through that planning stage before the, before the flip? I, I don't even see the houses anymore. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, time's relative. My time spent using, you know, doing other stuff and you know, I'm still busy, but doing other things, bringing value added stuff into the company, you know, we're trying to, you know, go into apartment syndication, do some bigger developments. We're doing a ton of new construction this year. I, I'm not involved at all in that planning process anymore because I, you know, created it, but then I systemized it so that my team can follow it. Every position, I've worked every position in my company. I've answered phones, I've managed projects. And as I'm doing that position, I'm building a guide and I'm documenting out every single task that I do and I'm giving a tutorial on it. So when I hire that person for that role, I can then plug them into that guide and they know exactly what to do. And I've done that with every position and I do it with my current position. You know, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be hiring a COO in the near future to um, you know, run most of the operations. And I've got a guide. Every single thing I do is documented and processed. And, uh, and, and so if you're currently not doing that, you need to start doing that because you want to replace yourself and you can't replace yourself until you've systemized what you're currently doing. Wow. That is a, that is a lesson right there. I, I, I am, you designing and going through this process and systemizing it and putting it into some sort of process oriented. I've been through a, a a number of fix and flips. And if we would have taken the time as you're suggesting early on, uh, we also have a lot of these systems in places now, but I can't even tell you the amount of time and headaches I would have saved if I would have started right and and try to at least start to establish some sort of framework early on mm-hmm. because you end up you'll find out is when you're getting into fix and flipping that first time you're revisiting the same topics over and over and over with different um with different uh, specialists you know whether it's the drywall people the painters the the plumbers i mean you're you're you might be talking to different people but you're talking about the same stuff over and over and over again Mm-hmm. And and to have a packet like you're saying is that that is a game changer in itself. 
Because mm-hmm. like you said, frankly, my my expertise is is going to be talking to potential sellers, trying to find the next opportunity versus spending 30 minutes talking to the painter that they need to use agreeable gray again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So no, that that's awesome. So um when you're you're talking to the uh do you talk to the sellers directly or do you have a sales team now that does that for you? I have a sales team, but that's what I was doing. You know, a, a tip I'd give people, people often ask, who do I hire first? And I think the correct answer is who do you hire last? And the people you hire, the person you hire last is whoever is in your position. So figure out what you're best at. For me, I was best at sales. So that was the last position I hired for because I was really good at it. So that's that's what I recommend people do. If you're, if you're at the point where you need to start hiring, figure out you know who you're most in need of, but make sure you don't hire the position that you're best at or the one you enjoy most. Hire that last. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great lesson too. Um, in fact, uh, I'd go as far as saying hire out the things you don't like to do first. I mean, it's if you find something miserable, you usually those are the things that are usually procrastinating on, and and you keep pushing back to do stuff that you actually do enjoy doing, and but that's that other stuff always eventually catches up to you. Yep. Yeah. So. With with everything you've learned now, you're doing 40 transactions a year. Uh, you pretty much have the same partners as you, you had from the beginning, or are you uh, a lone wolf on, on this? Yeah, same partner from the beginning. It's just worked out really well. I, I personally hate construction. <laughs> I, I don't like anything about managing contractors or shopping at Lowe's or any of that stuff he's really good at it. You know, he's, uh, he, you know, he's helped systemize and scale the construction services. I'm a sales and marketing guy. I enjoy going out, finding the deals, managing the sales team and keeping everybody accountable and, and creating KPIs, key performance indicators and holding people accountable to those. I enjoy doing that. So we have our strengths and our weaknesses and uh, he's really good at what I'm not. And I'm really good at what he's not. So it's been a really good symbiotic relationship um, it's kind of crazy. I know how rare that is being in this business so long. I see so many partnerships follow up, but it's just been, it's been a huge blessing. I'm so thankful to have him in my life and uh, I'm sure he feels the same way. You know, I think one of those things that I've really noticed just in our time together here tonight too, is that early on you treated this as a business, which I think is, is frankly, sadly rare. Uh, a lot of people would, they, they see this as maybe a side hustle or or something that uh, almost a hobby-like versus uh, you're talking about processes and and sis- making everything systematic and, and systems and, and project management and, and everything that, that uh, I think a lot of people don't take a moment to actually treat it as the business that it is. Yeah, you have to. You have to. If you don't, it's going to be really tough to make money, quite frankly, because it's very competitive. You got to think if you think this is just a, a hobby, you're competing against people like me, you know, people like you, you know, you, this is your livelihood, right? You feed your family through this and you take it very seriously. So if you go into something thinking it's just going to be kind of like a side hustle, it's going to be very difficult for you to make it, quite frankly. Can you do it? Yes, absolutely. You know, it is possible, but you're not going to have any kind of consistency. Right. 
And unfortunately, you know, you're talking about fix and flipping. And we before we started hit the record button, uh, I run into a lot of people who have who see fix and flipping and it's romanticized through HGTV and the DIY network. And it they do things, it looks like they do it in a weekend in 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> it's I, I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding when people jump into this type of thing. Yeah, well, it's TV, right? So it's it's that. It's designed to entertain you, not give you the facts. And the facts are that those people on the TV show are not actually doing the work. They get out and they put the hard hat and goggles on and slam a hammer in a wall a couple of times, make some holes and make it look like they're doing the work. But you've got a whole crew of contractors behind them that are doing the work. And uh, yeah, a lot of people think it, it's really easy. They can do it and then they get in the work. I mean, I don't know which way to swing a hammer, quite frankly. I'm not very good at construction. That was probably to my advantage because I, it forced me to not do the work myself. I was required to go find the who in order to accomplish that. And it sounds like you majorly found those who through that networking, like you had mentioned before. Networking, networking, networking. Yes. Yeah. So um, one last time, everybody, make sure you head over to the House Buy-In Guys. Uh, look for Brandon Cobb on all the social networks. And I warned you it was coming. Was there a question you wished I would have asked you tonight? You know, what do I wish I had known when I was first starting out? Um, one, you know, the one good thing I'd, I'd did correctly was I went and found a mentor, right? A partner, somebody who already had the knowledge that, that I was looking for. I did that. That was really smart. Um, but I would also warn people, you know, I burned through a decent amount of savings while I was doing this in the beginning. Don't use your own money. There are tons of ways to go raise money for real estate. Start from the very get-go with the rule that do not use your own money when when starting out. You know, I use my funds for you know like my first flip, and you know those can get tied up for a while. You need them, then you have unexpected repairs. Go raise the money, and the rule is do not use any of your own money in your projects. Make sure you go raise it somewhere else because it's going to save you a lot of time and headache, and it's going to teach you how to scale. Because if you try to use your own funds, you're only going to be able to do so many projects. But if you learn how to leverage other people's money. That's when your business can really take off when combined with the right systems. Well, I really appreciate uh, your time here tonight. Thank you so much. Again, it's the house buy-in guys, Brandon Cobb. Thank you for being here. Okay, thanks for having me. Great talking with you. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, Head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated, along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.